well, how'd you like to have someone say this about our church? In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. And it's not just some disgruntled church member who doesn't like the fact that the minister doesn't wear a tie and so writes to the bishop. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church that he founded. Imagine hearing these words. Beginning of chapter 11, he praises them for remembering him. But on this issue, he does not praise them. He condemns them. What is it? Why is it so bad? Well, it's to do with their coming together. Uh, In verse 17, the translators have put your meetings, but the word is when you come together. It's the same word that comes up another four times in the passage. It's all about what they do when they come together. And not just come together by meeting together in the street sometime. No, when they come together, verse 18, as a church. Like I said, they'd received the gospel that Christ died, was buried and has been raised. They received the gospel and so from then on they met together because that's what Christians do. That's what gospel people do. They come together to encourage each other, to celebrate the Lord and to wait for his return. They would come together. But, says Paul, there are divisions, verse 18. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. The Corinthians had plenty of divisions. If you read chapter 1, there were different groups following different leaders. But this time, it's not about following different leaders. It's not about different doctrines or theology in the church. It's something much simpler. It's divisions caused by eating. Verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Eating often leads to divisions. It often leads to divisions at our house. There are those in our house uh, who eat normal adult food and will eat most things you put in front of them. But the youngest member of our house is a sausage-terian. He wants to just eat sausages all the time and there is only one green thing that he will eat. There's a division. And there's a further division for those who will eat it and just get on with it and who look at the other one and say, will you just eat it for goodness sake? Eating causes divisions. And when they came together as a church, they didn't come together just for a service. They didn't come together just for a meal. They came together for the Lord's Supper. But there were divisions. How? Verse 21. As you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. Literally, it says, each of you devours his own meal. You see, it's not about when you start eating and you really should wait for the other people to arrive. It's about eating the meal you've brought and the amount of food and the sort of food that you have brought whilst others go hungry. Do you see that there in verse 21? One remains hungry, 
whilst another has so much food and so much drink that they get drunk. It says there in verse 21, doesn't it, each of you, but as you read closely, you think he's got a particular group in mind here. It's the wealthy who can afford to come with good food and plenty of it, and others go hungry. You see it again in 22. Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Imagine it a bit like this. In the first century, there were a few rich people and a whole lot of poor people. There were very few people in between. This middle class thing is quite a 20th century idea. A third of the population were slaves belonging to the rich people. And so when they gathered together, can you imagine what would happen? The rich would bring their food, their fine food, probably prepared by their slaves. They weren't going to eat the food that the slaves were going to eat. Can you imagine? And the rich people were going to sit together because that way they would keep their food together and have polite conversation. The poor would bring their bread and look longingly at the food they had prepared for the rich. On top of that, they weren't meeting in a hall where you could sort of just go to any table that you liked. They didn't have a hall. They had to meet in someone's home. Whose home would they meet in? A rich person's home with a big house. There probably wouldn't be a room still big enough for everyone to fit in, and so there'll be one room for the rich, the best room, and another room for the poor. And probably you would get to the door for this church meeting, and the slave at the door would look at your clothes if you hadn't come before and point you in the right direction. Do you see? Can you imagine it? And the poor are humiliated. It reminds me of a scene from an old movie called The Power of One, which was set in South Africa under apartheid. There were the white rich people sitting around the table served by their black servants. The food was very good. And the white people said something about it's good to have servants, isn't it? So we don't have to do the work. Yes, says the other one, I just wish we didn't have to see them. It's something like that that's happening in Corinth. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Because we're sort of in this classless society where all of us have enough food. And if we have a, a potluck dinner, we can all manage to bring something together. Or if we have a meal like Cafe Church, we can all bring some money. And if you pull it together, someone's kind enough to cook it all and we're all happy to eat the same thing. It's different now. But there are still distinctions, aren't there? There are men and women. There are the old and the young. There is the in crowd and the fringe crowd, the cool people and the nerdy people. There are divisions, distinctions in the church. And in God's kindness, he gives to every church one or two or many people who are just awkward, difficult, and some people find hard to deal with. 
One church I was involved in many years ago was in the inner west and they had a great ministry to the boarding houses of the local area where many of the homeless people and mentally ill people lived. And so on a Sunday morning in church, in the service, who knows what would happen? Who would call out or what sounds would be made in the middle of the sermon or in the middle of the Bible reading? And at morning tea, you could be pretty sure you wouldn't get much to eat because other people would get to it first, do you see? It was difficult to be united there were divisions in people's attitudes and in their actions. So it was in Corinth. And somewhere in the midst of this meal, as they come together, they celebrate the Lord's Supper. And Paul thinks there's something not quite right about that. Why is it that the Corinthians thought of the poor and treated the poor like this? Why does Paul think this is so bad? So bad that their meetings do more harm than good. It'd be better to stay home, he says. And why does he say, if you do it like this, it's not the Lord's Supper? Why does he say they're despising the church of God? Well, Paul reminds them what he passed on to them about the Lord's Supper. Have a look at 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. At Jesus' last supper on that Easter Thursday, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples and he took some bread and said, this is my body. He took some wine and said, this is my blood. No one was confused that night that the bread had somehow magically become his body. There was the bread, there was his body. No one was confused that the wine in the cup was actually his blood because they knew the blood was still inside his body. It represented his body and blood. It was like when Jesus said, I am the gate. No one tried to open him. They knew it was a metaphor. The fact he was telling them was, I'm about to die. The significance of that, it's for you, he says. It'll make the new covenant in my blood. It's for you, for the remission of sins. I'm dying in place of you to bring in the new covenant. Jeremiah 31 said, In the new covenant, I'll remember their sins no more. They will all know me from the least to the greatest. At the Last Supper, Jesus said they should do the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. What is it that Jesus most wants us to remember about him? Is it his birth or his life or his teaching? No, it's his death. He wants them to come together, take some bread and some wine, and to share and to eat. To remember that he died for you. To remember that he made the new covenant. That he made the church. That his body and blood formed his body. For in the new covenant he would remember their sins no more, and all would know the Lord from the least to the greatest. What does that mean? Everyone's on a level playing field. From the weakest 
poorest member of the church to the most exalted and richest member of the church. All of them have had their sins remembered no more. All of them know the Lord equally because of this new covenant. Remember and proclaim this, said Jesus. Paul received this from the Lord and he passed it on to them and so the Corinthians are doing it. They are doing the Lord's Supper, but they are not remembering, are they? At least, not the rich amongst them. It seems in Corinth, I think, that they weren't just that the rich despise the poor and they like eating their own food, but if you read all of 1 Corinthians, there's a group of people who are so impressed by their own power, by their own gifts, by their own wisdom, by their own money that they think they have arrived and they despise the cross of Christ as weak. That was 1 Corinthians 1, do you remember, on Good Friday? And they despise the people that Christ has saved by his body, the weak members of the church. It wasn't that these weak, these poor members of the church were just poor, they were obviously weak. They didn't have the gifts and the power and the wisdom that the rich people have and so they looked down their noses at them. They despised them. That's why Paul says, you despise the church of God, verse 22, and humiliate those who have nothing. Are you like that at all? Do you despise the cross? Does it seem unimpressive or embarrassing? Do you need something more relevant? Would you like a better message to try and have to tell to your friends? And do you find the church embarrassing, unimpressive, especially some members of the church? Are there people that, because of them, you wouldn't invite your friends to come because they're too embarrassing? Do you despise the cross? Do you despise the church of God? Paul says... It doesn't matter how impressive your Lord's Supper meal is, how somber it is, or how seriously you take it. If you despise the cross and despise God's people, it is not the Lord's Supper, verse 20. People have all sorts of ideas about what's really important when you have the Lord's Supper, when you take the bread and the wine to remember Jesus' body and blood. They have all sorts of ideas about what would make it not the Lord's Supper. In the last church I was at, uh, it was a, a cathedral-type church, they had a rail, rail at the front where you would come forward to take communion. And there was a proposal to change that and to remain in our seats and the bread and the wine would come to us in our seats and we would eat together. Well, there were so many strong opinions either way. It wouldn't seem like the Lord's Supper, people seem to be saying. People think that sort of thing about when you should have the Lord's Supper, what sort of building you should be in, what sort of minister should be up the front, whether you should have fancy words or not, whether you should be having a meal at the same time. Well, the meeting went on for quite a while. And just near the end, an elderly lady stood up and said, she'd been a missionary in Tanzania. She said, when I was in Tanzania, we had the Lord's Supper gathered around a 44-gallon drum. And it was the Lord's Supper. And I thought she was spot 
on, don't you think? There is only one way that it is not the Lord's Supper, and this is it. It doesn't matter what ceremony you do, whether you use wine or juice or where it is or what the minister's doing or what he's wearing, that doesn't matter. But what does matter is the attitude of the people to the cross and to one another. And if you despise the cross, and if you despise the people whom Christ bought with his blood, it is not the Lord's Supper. Worse than that, if that's your attitude, it's not just that it's not the Lord's Supper, you will bring judgment on yourself. That's what Paul says in the next paragraph, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. This is serious, says Paul. And people over the centuries, seeing how serious this is, have become very worried. For they see the word unworthy in verse 27 and think, that's me. If anyone who is unworthy, they read, takes the Lord's Supper, they will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord and bring judgment upon themselves. And so, in fear, they stay away. But can you really be unworthy of taking the Lord's Supper? Can you be unworthy of taking the bread and the wine, which is meant to remind you of the body and the blood which was given for your sins? How could you be unworthy of that? It's about the grace of God, isn't it, that brings forgiveness. Surely we are all unworthy. At the end of last year, some of you were at my daughter's wedding and Ben's wedding. They asked me to do the talk, which was a big mistake, really. And they asked me to speak about grace, about God's generosity to those who are unworthy. Well, your prospective son-in-law is in your sights at that point, isn't he? So how did I begin? Ben, I don't know how to say this, but I want you to know that you're not good enough to marry my daughter. Everyone took a deep breath and wondered what I was going to say next. I talked about all the things that made him not worthy. He played the drums, for example. I went on for a while and made everyone feel uncomfortable until I finally said, actually, Ben, we really like you and we're really glad that you're marrying our daughter. The bottom line is no one would be good enough to marry my daughter, so I'm sorry about that. Then I said, it's much more serious with God, isn't it? We are actually unworthy, all of us, before God. And we need grace. And God gave his son for us when we were unworthy. The Lord's Supper is for those who are unworthy. And if you are someone who is unworthy, then you should be there. 
because you are just the person who is meant to take part. In fact, if you don't think you are unworthy, you are just the person who should not take part. Do you see? What does it actually say in verse 27? Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. It does not say whoever is unworthy as a person. It's an adverb, an adverbial phrase, if you like. Eating in an unworthy manner. How could you eat the bread and the wine in an unworthy manner? Is, is it in the way that you put it in your mouth and chomp with your teeth and swallow it? Of course not. Is it in the way that you approach the rail or sit on your chair? Is it in the, what you're thinking at the time? No. Think of the context. What were the Corinthians doing? That was an unworthy manner. They were devouring their own meal and humiliating the poor because they despised the church of God. Verse 29, they were not recognising the body. Not that they weren't recognising the body and blood in the bread and the wine. No, it's recognising the body of the Lord, the church. They did not recognise that this group of people that had come together that they despised was actually God's precious jewel. They didn't recognise the body. And so they were eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. And Paul says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup so that he does not do that. Examine yourself, he says, because already God is judging you for your behaviour. Some of you are sick. Some of you have fallen asleep, have died. Because God is judging this church to call them to attention so that they will repent and not eventually be condemned. It's that serious, he says. So what should you do at the Lord's Supper? You should know that you are unworthy. That is why Jesus died. He gave the Lord's Supper so you wouldn't forget. So if you think you're unworthy... Take part, eat and drink. Should you examine yourself? Yes, it says that here. Should you examine whether your repentance is good enough? It's not. No, that's not it. You must be in love and charity with your neighbours, says the prayer book. That's true, but more importantly, do you recognise the church of God? Do you see how weak it is overall? Do you see how unpleasant some of its members are in your own view, if you're honest? But do you see how precious they are to God? And are they precious to you? We should look around when we take the Lord's Supper, maybe not directly, just in our mind's eye, and think, who is the weakest person here, in my view? Who's the poorest? Who's the smelliest? If we had a meal, who would bring the worst food? Who would I most like not to sit next to if we had a meal? And do I value them as God's great treasure? Because Jesus died for them. If that is our attitude, then we are ready for the Lord's Supper, aren't we? Paul says finally, verse 33, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, 
wait for each other. The word is not wait for each other. It's not as weak as that. It's welcome each other. Accept one another. When you come together, whether you have a meal, whether you have a small meal, the Lord's Supper as we do it, or whether you are gathering together as the church, we share together as equals, don't we? There are no second-class citizens, and however we do Cafe Church, that should be really clear, shouldn't it? We should all have the same sort of food, and we should relate to one another as equal people and mix with the different groups a little because we welcome each other. There should not be cliques here on a Sunday night or throughout the week. There should be no distinctions. And if God brings into our fellowship someone whom the world would think is quite weak, we should be delighted and thank God for this opportunity to value those whom God thinks are of great value. Do you see? For Christ died that the least to the greatest would know him. So we must recognize the body and accept one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you tell us the truth about ourselves, that we are so unworthy of your love and your acceptance. And that is exactly why Christ died. We thank you and praise you for this. Please help us to believe this in our hearts. And as we come together week by week, as we come together for a meal, as we come together for the Lord's Supper, help us to come as sinners in need of your grace. And as in our mind's eye, we think about our church as a whole and we think about each member of the church for whom Christ died. Help us to value each one as you do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.